Welcome to A Reason for Hope, your question connection with the entire Word of God. We'd love for you to join the conversation. Simply follow us on our Facebook page at Calvary Christian Fellowship. If you have a question, please text or email us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. And on today's episode, we have a special guest. Let's tune in. Welcome, welcome to Reason for Hope, a ministry of the Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. And if you are listening in online, we have two places where we answer your Bible questions. Um, We can deal with questions about scripture or worldview or theology, doctrine. Uh, As uh, Pastor Scott likes to say, one question at a time, one question, one heart at a time. One question of the heart at a time. One question of the heart at a time. I am so sorry. That's okay, man. It was awesome. I I was so stoked, Adrian, that you (laughs) did the intro and you got in there and you did it. Hey, everybody. My name is Bo Willette. Super glad to be with you. I'm with my host or I'm the co-host or you're the host, who knows. But uh, Adrian Van Vactor is with me today on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope began as a, uh, a Q&A Bible question sh- program back in the day when the, um, the uh, incredible events took place in New York with the Twin Towers coming down. And Pastor Scott and Robert Farrow got together and started doing a, a little Q&A on the air. And it, it, it then became Scott Richards Live, where Scott was just doing Q&A shows. And then it, it kind of morphed into what it is today called A Reason for Hope, where we do a podcast. We can reach out to all over the world. Um, plus, we are on Reach Radio. Super blessed to be on that radio program. Uh, it's a weekday show, 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock Arizona time. Arizona is one of those places, by the way, everybody, where we don't change our time. And so uh, it's, I'd say mountain, but I don't even know if we're on mountain we're at on the moment. Pacific time at the moment. And then when everyone else changes their clocks, then we'll be on mountain time. Yes. And so uh, the, the program is definitely run by your questions. So you can check us out at calvarychristianfellowship.com. That's calvarychristianfellowship.com. You might be on that platform. You might be on our YouTube, YouTube platform at A Reason for Hope. And that's where a lot of people, yesterday they won, by the way. They won <laughs> in the questions. They they had the most questions. And then we have also our Facebook at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, yep. where you can answer your questions on there, too. And the Ooh. URL for that is Facebook slash CCF Tucson, if you're just typing in the address. Typing. What is it again? Uh, Facebook.com forward slash CCF Tucson. Okay. So, yeah, you can do that as well. So you can get us the questions that you have for today. Uh, the only asterisk or the only thing that we would ask is that your question be sincere. Um, and uh, and we know that they will be. So we're pretty excited about it. The first question that we had for today was kind of one of those doozy questions. It was, is the Antichrist reign going to be a global reign or is it going to be uh, just uh, kind of in one neck of the woods of the world? So do you want to give that one a, a crack first? Well, I would love to uh, share some thoughts from the passage that talks about that. But before that, we do that. How about you lead us in some uh, prayer? Prayer. Yeah. This is, uh, these are deep subjects. Yeah, absolutely. Father, we thank you uh, that you are our God. You say uh, to give thanks 
And we do want to thank you for what you've done for us in sending your son, Jesus, to die for us. We thank you for this opportunity, this day that you have made. We want to rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you for your word, that it is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And you say, blessed are those who take hold of it. And we want to take hold of it today. Uh, Empower us by the work of your spirit. Uh, Make your word come alive. Give us an excitement and enthusiasm for your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I know that <clears throat> there are times where Scripture uses the word the whole world, and in the mind of the author, it's the world that they know. So, for example, there was a time where Paul said the gospel had been preached to the whole world. Uh, it didn't necessarily mean that uh, Native Americans were hearing the gospel or you know, the Mayans were hearing it, but uh, the known world. But I think that in this instance, because we're looking at a picture of future events, And we see words like in Revelation 13 where the beast is given, well, there's two. There's the beast, and then there's the beast that tells everyone to worship the first beast that was wounded (laughs) with the sword and supposedly comes back to life. But when it says things like it forces everyone, small and great, everyone, to worship the beast or to receive a mark, when you see language, it says all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's uh, verse 8 in chapter 13. It seems to give the indication that, that it is a global effect, whether it is a one-world government, which many who hold to a pre-tribulation or pre-millennial, a pre-millennial pre-tribulation view of eschatology would say that there is no way to have accomplished something like this in the future without a global one-world government. So you'll hear hear things like one-world government, one-world currency, because, yes, in the first century, second century, third century, it would have been easy for a government to impose a rule that you cannot buy or sell without having some kind of tattoo or mark. The problem with that is that any kind of black market or financial system that relies on individuals enforcing the rules can just as easily break the rules. We live at a time now for the first time in human history where such impositions are now enforceable. And we saw a kind of a glimpse of that with the truckers uh, protesting in yeah, Canada. Up in Canada. Where all of a sudden their entire ability to even get gasoline was completely shut down because their banks were seized. You could not donate. Uh, So when you think of a single government having that kind of power, Mm. then it makes it seem as if, if you're going to impose rules like everyone's small and great, opposing the saints and defeating the saints, and we're talking about tribulation saints, those who come to faith after the rapture and have of course been preached through uh, those who uh, finally realize oh my goodness this is all true and uh, come to faith but uh, when you see things like that it it gives me at least the impression Mm. that it has to be a global effect because you can't war on all the saints you can't force everyone small and great without actually having a global presence even if the author in their minds doesn't have quite the picture of the globe that we might Mm. But then again, they might have because God may have revealed it that way. So it's hard to say. But I would, I would say it's it's safe to say that the whole earth means the whole earth in this instance. 
Yeah, I would too. And I, I would say uh, that's a great point that you say that those uh, in the book of Revelation, the saints that are martyred, it, it always talks about them from every nation, tribe, tongue, and things of that nature. And it's always using those kind of terms in the book uh, when it's describing people, um, every nation. And that's cool because I, I think that, I mean, when you think about that, how do you describe the whole world? You know, well, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. I mean, you're trying to go from like big to small kind of thing. You know, tribe is it seems a little smaller than a nation, mm -hmm. you know. So it seems like you're trying to really hit everybody. Uh, so the, the, the book of Revelation makes that really clear. Like you said, in various places, I think you quoted Revelation chapter eight um, at one point. Um, I think that was the saints, maybe. Uh, it's 13. It says that he performs great signs to see those who dwell on the earth. Uh, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image to be killed, which is also very scary. The idea that an image set up that it that it's caused to be able to speak and those who do not worship this image of this beast to be that the that it. The image is cause, causes people to be killed. That's um, yeah, radical, pretty terrifying. But the the part about the saints. Let me scroll back up here. Yeah, I was thinking. Uh, yeah, maybe thirteen verse uh, sixteen. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive yeah. a mark on his right hand or on forehead. Uh, verse seven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and oh, to yeah. overcome them. Yeah. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Mm. You know, you only see that that when you see every tribe, tongue, and nation, that language, usually it's in eschatological terms mm -hmm. or, you know, the return of Christ. You, When Paul used the word that, you know, the whole, the, all, the whole world had heard the gospel or something like that, you don't use, you don't see that kind of emphasis. So you, you kind of get the idea that we're talking about every soul. <laughs> mm, yeah. And, and, and like I said, it talks about that same kind of thing. Uh, like every soul of even those who were martyred during the tribulation period, people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's definitely the, the book of revelations using that, that term to describe, you know, everybody on the planet or, ev you know, everywhere on the planet. A good um, question. Yeah, and, and it's and it, I think what you brought up too with technology is awesome. I mean, I was just looking up uh, Frontline News and it had this wonderful uh, um, article called Macron um, announced plan for digital ID immediately after election. So this is the French president. And it, it's such a cool article, and, and it's one of those spooky ones. It says, two day, days after the highly contested presidential election last week in which Emmanuel Macron, Macron uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, actually. Macron. Macron was announced the victor. His administration announced plans to implement a digital ID. Now, this is part of the kind of maybe world economic um, you know, kind of stuff, you know, that, you know, global things going on, you know, um, and it says, uh, as reported, digital IDs are an integral component to the world economic form. There you go. Agenda for 2030, which is seen by many as a global version of Chinese or China's social credit system. 
So uh, according to the WEF, which outlined the COVID-19 pandemic before it happened, digital ID, digital payments, and data governance are each important individually. Together, they add up to a powerful public good. So the question is, is, Who's going to be that one? Who's going to be that power structure that's going to implement a digital ID um, and control that information? Um, and so uh, this is interesting. Um, and uh, some of the French people are pretty upset about all this, of course, uh, about him getting elected again. I guess he just got elected again. But um it's just an interesting uh, global idea that's. It already says that it's already kind of in 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 the pipeline. Yeah, you know. And I used to be pretty skeptical. <clears throat> Back in the late '90s, we would print out articles and scripture passages and give them out to non-Christians using eschatology as a form of evangelism mm-hmm. and the idea that. It's not evangelizing them right now, but when these things come to pass, it might trigger a, a remembrance that, oh, yeah, those wacky Christians were Said saying it was going to be global. <laughs> and so we were talking about the, the little grain of rice microchips that you could put underneath the skin. I have a blue and gold macaw that I was that I injected into his chest. It's a really tiny, but it's just a chip that has uh-huh. an ID number so that you can just scan him and all of a sudden you have his medical. Uh, his name is Angel. His big blue and gold macaw. He'll, <laughs> he'll probably outlive me. And so we would go around saying this is the mark of the, or this is the, the technology is now available for the mark of the beast. And then it occurred to me one day that the Bible just says a mark. And I don't see why technology has to matter. I would hear preachers say, oh, well, this has never been possible until now. And I used to think, well, anybody could tattoo your, your arm or your forehead mm. and, and say, hey, you, you're not allowed to do commerce unless you do this. But then when those truckers were protesting in Canada and when I found out that they were seizing their bank accounts, that GoFundMe and those kinds of organizations were shutting down the ability to even give donations to them, they were shutting down their credit card and debit card accounts, that they couldn't even buy gasoline or food for their families. And then all of a sudden the light bulb went off. Yes, there is any any tyrant could easily say hey you have to worship this beast and you have to pay homage by having this tattoo put on your skin and unless you have that tattoo you're not one of us and you can't buy or sell and we're gonna throw you in jail if you try or anybody who buys and sells to you will throw you in jail Hmm. but it'd be really hard to enforce that there would always be a black market for commerce yeah sure until now that's when i realized This is something through the crypto technology to be able to actually pull it off where you have a one world currency and you literally cannot buy or sell unless you have the technology and have committed yourself knowingly to whatever religious world system is in place that, you know, in an ecumenical way brings everyone together to... Uh, be a part of this worshiping. And, and I, w- I wanted to ask you, when it says causes them to worship, we think of bowing and praying, but worship has sort of a broader meaning to it, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it could me- it means obviously just to bow or to kiss. But, the, uh, you know, I think a modern term would be like adoration, you know, something that we really give our heart to, we really adore, we really find 
uh, our affections are that way. So you could be an atheist and worship the beast without yep. having a without even being a religious person or even believing in an, in an afterlife. You could, in a sense, be one of those who worship the beast. Yeah, well, everybody I think worships, and you know, everybody has something that they adore. Um, yeah, and that's the interesting thing is is. Um, I think it's going to be like, let me read this to you. This is interesting. Imagine a few years hence you receive, this is from the same article, by the way. Imagine a few years hence you receive the following text on your phone. A notification explains that your carbon footprint is 23% above others in your age, race, category, in your uh, geographic region. It informs you that you have 18 months to transition to an electric vehicle. Otherwise, you will be taxed an additional 90 cents. Uh, per gallon of gas. While the gas tax is steep, you default to that opinion because, uh, or that option, because you cannot afford an electric vehicle. After another six months, you receive another notification that your individual carbon footprint tax will double to 1.80 per gallon of gas, which hurts even more, but does not change your financial prospects for a new electrical car. A year later, an algorithm in your in the cloud decides that since you have still not converted to an electric vehicle, you now simply cannot buy gas. Um, the medical ethics expert then noted how this has already begun to be deployed during the pandemic, chiefly with the use of vaccine passports. So it, it's really interesting. You know, there's a lot of things that kind of come up with this this in, in the book of Revelation, right? And obviously this this global power, but I like how he talks about al- the algorithm. You know, like there's so much, there's a lot of computer technology that's being utilized Mm -hmm. where there's a governing board behind it all. But then there's all this technology that's just doing its thing, you know, and how is that going to result in the the image of the beast and uh, paying homage to the image of the beast? What exactly is that going to look like? The worship of that image of the beast? Um, uh, Man, it it is, I mean, we really are, getting into this area of of technology human beings this mix uh of both of them kind of coming together mm-hmm. um that uh it, it kind of blurs the lines a little bit of like who am i really who's really doing this is it really guys is there really people human beings or is it yeah. just a bunch of computer algorithms <laughs> just yeah. sending this stuff the out idea and that doing the it. entire world could see an image at once yeah we've Never been able to do that until now. Yeah, so I, I find it interesting and, and a little scary, but you know, you know, obviously we got a real preview of coming attractions the last couple of years on how uh, power structures can um, go to work globally, and we do have. Uh, you can look it up yourself. The World Economic Forum—that's what it's called—and go on the website and check that out, and you can see kind of what their agendas are. You know, uh, the meat, uh, the meat uh, industry going down, of course. And there's a lot of different things, climate change issues that they want to deal with. But all these things that, uh, you know, if you don't if you don't uh, aren't a part of this, then you are going to be seen as someone who's. uh, And there's uh, no uh, need to imprison you or, you know, even I mean, obviously, Scripture says that they'll be killed. Yeah. But it's uh, it's really easy to ostracize you first. And uh, you know, there's all several levels of 
oppression and persecution that can take place prior to just okay you're done yeah <laughs> especially if, if 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 a governing if a power structure has the ability to cut all your dough right and just say yo that's it you're done you know n- no more money so pretty interesting anyway so you might want to check some of that stuff out that article by the way was on um americafrontlinedoctors.org mm. and they have a news kind of reel <coughs> and that was from uh that was uh um, produced or posted by UD Sherman on May 3rd, that whole um, uh, digital ID. Wow. Yeah, with blockchain technology now, <laughs> I mean, you can take a picture at a sporting event, yeah. assign one of those digital IDs to it, and now, digitally speaking, you can own the original and make, I mean, they're selling artwork that way now, and it's a digital artwork where... Yes, you may have a screenshot, a, a copy of it, but you don't have the original because it has that digital signature. Yeah, really this, is, this is an awesome quote. It says, the biomedical security state will soon have the infrastructure in place for policies of this kind, this kind of global kind of um, technology to send out to observe how much carbon <laughs> you're using mm-hmm. and stuff like that, including digital IDs and central bank digital currencies. Interesting. So a central bank digital currency, he concluded, these will be tied to digital health passport systems already tested and deployed during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So you can see how one world currency mixes in with digital health passports, right? Um, And uh, your digital ID. Mm -hmm. And and so they know where you're at. They know exactly. They know how to, uh, They if they have the power to be able to say, hey, you know what? You're using this way too much. You're you're using way too electricity. You know, we're going to shut it yeah. down for, you know. It's not you anymore volitionally shutting things down. It's not you anymore volitionally not driving your car. It's not you anymore volitionally recycling on your own. It's a power, that uh, a structure that says, yeah, we're going to run it for you. And the point of all this <laughs> is not saying this is like the mark of the beast or this is a sign of the times. But really just pointing out that from a technological standpoint, in order to enforce something, you'd re- it'd require a cashless society of some sort. Because if I have cash and he has cash, he and I can still do commerce. Whether we have a mark or a worship anything, it, it wouldn't matter. We could still trade. The only way that it could prevent us is that we don't have cash. We don't have anything that has any value as a society unless you have that particular mark and the only way you can really enforce that we're now seeing the technology continuing to evolve you can't counterfeit blockchains you can't i mean at least not very easily not like you can money you can't steal it electronically you can't just transfer funds from one account to the other and steal it's really difficult to steal Uh, so the technology is there to make something like not being able to do commerce by any means at all imaginable <laughs> unless you get the mark unless you join the club <laughs> yeah wow just really intense so a lot of stuff going on man it definitely uh you said maybe it's not the sign of the times i think it's kind of the sign of the time <laughs> well I, I say that to just be uh, yeah you know cautious obviously yeah. it seems to me too that you know i i have always been on the fence when it comes to like the mark of the beast and when it's happening and and what's going to bring the world to the place, you know, an economic, it'd have to be a, a, a monumental economic 
earthquake. Mm-hmm. And, of course, things like pandemics and we see a recession on the horizon probably in the next year or two where we're going to all be hurting pretty badly financially. If it were to get worse and worse where we're now having, you know, a world war over, you know, these kinds of disputes, someone's going to have to rise in the midst of it all to bring the world together. And it's all going to be under the guise of unity and peace at the expense of all those who don't dis- who don't agree. Mm-hmm. Like what's happening right now, they're saying things like, well, we need to get rid of cryptocurrency because you can't track it. Or the Canadian government wanting to track every single deposit uh, over $600. You know, they just want to control all monetary devices so that you can control your population. And when you start seeing mm-hmm. those kinds of signs and the ability to carry it out, that is a huge sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a scary sign. Yeah. It just, uh, you know, government just keeps growing and growing, man. It's like a monstrosity. It's the 900-foot yeah. gorilla, man. It just keeps mm-hmm. going. Anyway, Holly, you want to get to that one? Um, sure. Is the, if the Holy Spirit lives in me, why do I still sin? I thought I repented of my sin, but now I'm not sure. What do I do? That is a great question. Yeah, that is. And I'm going to go to Galatians chapter 6 first and kind of just start there um, and just read a little bit. Um, sorry about that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to talk about, of course, there. But let me go to, sorry, Galatians chapter 5. And let me go to verse 16. So it says, I, so I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the de- desires of your sinful nature. So Paul says, live by the spirit. And you're right, Holly. There is uh, a very important teaching in uh, the Bible, and we can look at it in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, and I'll read that to you. Uh, and it says uh, in verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So what is the praise to the praise of God's glory? Well, it's him sealing you with the promised Holy Spirit. So you're absolutely right there that we have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has three um, relationships with you. He is with you. He is in you. He is upon you. We get that not uh, from we're not making that up. That's something we see in the Bible. Um, those relationships with the Holy Spirit. But this is now Galatians says live by the spirit. So obviously there's a choice here of whether how we can uh, how we're going to kind of walk in our daily life, practically speaking. So and it says, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. So it sounds like we got two things going on within us, Holly. We have a sinful nature that desires something that's very contrary to the 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 work of the spirit that's within us. And it says in the spirit is what is contrary to the sinful nature. So from right off the bat, we get that a couple things is going on. If uh, put it this way, if the Bible taught that you didn't struggle with sin or you didn't fight against sin after you were a Christian, uh, most of the New Testament would have not been written. It's 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 always written to help us Christians to fight or battle the sinful inclinations. So 
this scripture just makes it really plain. This is just one of those really plain scriptures that lets us know that there's a sinful nature in us still. And there also is the Holy Spirit, which is in us as as well. And they are in conflict, it says, with each other. So there it is. There's a conflict going on within you, right? And it says, um, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Okay? So, uh, very important. We can be led by the Spirit. And that's something that we want to do in, a, in our daily lives as Christians, is be led by the Spirit, not by the sinful, animalistic uh, inclinations that we have as human beings. So it says the acts of the sinful nature of obvious, and it has a list of the sinful nature. And then it says that if you live like this, uh, and he warns us that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And he has the list there of love of the fruits of the spirit against such thing. There is no law. And then it talks about those who belong to Christ. Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So just real quick to help you with this, this section of scripture that really speaks pretty loud and clear of this battle within us is Paul makes reference to two kinds of relationships. One of them is a positional relationship we have and one of them is a practical one. And uh, do you want to explain that a little bit, what that means when you have a positional relationship with God? Yeah, well, the positional relationship is in reference, well, since you mentioned the Holy Spirit, when a person comes to faith, they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's called being born again. Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. And unless the person is born again, and Nicodemus thought, well, how can I enter into my mom's womb and be born again? And he's like... No, I'm talking about spiritually born. So you're physically born once, and then you must be spiritually born again. And so when that happens, that is when we we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit indwells us. So that's our position with Christ. So positionally, I am declared righteous. I didn't earn it. I didn't do anything to credit righteousness to myself, meaning I didn't follow a list of do's and don'ts mm. or several uh, laws in scripture or change my mor- my moral life or my ethics or turn over a new leaf. I am a sinner, completely lost. And in being convicted by the Holy Spirit of my sin, I turn to God, as Peter says, an appeal to God for a clear conscience. Not that I have a clear conscience because I am now perfect, but because in God's eyes, I have been cleansed of all my sin. It says that he throws our sin as far as the east is from the west. So in positionally, as I stand before God, <clears throat> that's what it means to be uh, saint or declared righteous. Is that as far as God sees me, he doesn't see me, my sinful day-to-day struggles. He sees the righteousness of Christ that has covered me. So positionally, I am perfect, sinless spotless because I've been cleansed by the blood of the lamb. So that's what we mean by positionally. Yeah. Practically, that's where the process of sanctification comes in. So um, sanctification is 
a big word. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it simply, Making you holy. Making yeah, you holy. Uh, holy means to be set apart to God's use. And sanctification is the process of being made holy, which is a process. You know, in Romans 8, it says that we are not left alone in our struggles, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our struggles. We don't even know what to pray, but he intercedes on our behalf. And so um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> but practical, practically speaking, the Holy Spirit, uh, I mean, you, you have a practical life um, and you're working out this oh, work. I remember of, what I was going to say. Yeah, you're yeah. working out sanctification. You're, God is working in you. Mm-hmm. He, he's teaching you as you go. You already positionally are right with God, but now you are being sanctified. You are going through your life, working through things in your life. So even though the Holy Spirit indwells you and is, has given you that position, you are now, in a sense, you have a, like it said in Ephesians 1, you have a seal. God sees that you have a seal, a mark, you know, when you would, um, if you were in Rome, you know, and you wanted to know if that was really part of the Roman government's property, you would see a seal on the wall. Mm-hmm. And that seal showed that it was indeed Rome, mm-hmm. Roman's possession. Well, that's what if the Ephesians one thirteen is saying is that you have a your position is that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have a mark. So you are a Christian at the moment of it says at the moment you believed in Ephesians mm-hmm. one right, thirteen. Yeah. But then as you were t- explaining, there's a work of of making us holy. This fight that Paul's talking about, this battle that's taking place where we have a decision to make. Am I going to follow now the spirit or am I going to follow now my flesh? And that is the process of being sanctified, working Mm. through that. And that's what I was referring to at Romans 8. I just remember thinking of that prayer part about how he helps us in our struggles, meaning that there is struggles, but also that he predestined that those who come to faith would be conformed to the image of his son, that we would be transformed, as he later says in the same uh, letter to the church in Rome, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we may know what the will of God is, and uh, and so on. And so God's goal for us, the reason why he doesn't uh, just snatch us up the moment we come to faith, is that he wants us to become more like Christ. And that is the the struggle that we fight as believers day to day. Paul described this in Romans 7. He described the struggle of knowing in his mind the perfect will of God, but and then struggling to carry it out. Uh, in First John, we are told that even if we do sin, we have an advocate before the Father, that the Holy Spirit is there to help and guide and grow. And we're always told to confess our sins to one another. So it's it's a mistake to say that when you come to faith and you repent, you know, you, you had mentioned in your question, I repented of my sin. Well, what that means is, is you acknowledge God that you are a sinner and that the things that are on your conscience, you put before God and say, I want to change these ways. But when you do struggle or stumble, it doesn't mean that your initial repentance was false. It doesn't mean that you were never a person of faith. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit uh, didn't indwell you and that you're not born again. It just means that you're struggling and stumbling, and that's why it's very important that we do things to help us uh, so that we don't sin. Staying in fellowship with the church, with the fellowship of the saints, getting in God's word, uh, keeping your mind on things that are pure and holy and righteous, 
all the different things that Scripture instructs us to do to help us grow in our faith and become more like Christ as we continue to progress. As I heard it once said, we don't become sinless, but we should sin less. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love your your thought there, though, Holly, I, the, where you say, I thought I repented of my sin. Uh, there are passages uh, that talk about, you know, that the righteous person stumbles seven times yet gets back up. And so even the Bible itself admits that the righteous stumble and they fall and but they get back up. So and, and so the Bible is definitely saying that we are going to stumble when Jesus taught us to pray. In the book of Matthew, chapter five, uh, or it might have been six, Matthew six, where Jesus says, our father who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in he- heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. So even the Messiah, even Jesus, when he teaches his disciples to pray, he adds in that prayer that you guys are going to need to pray for forgiveness of sins. So the Holy Spirit, though, has come. See, what the Holy Spirit has come to do is to reveal Christ to you. That is the work mm-hmm. of the Spirit. It's a revealing work. So you can't equate, you can't think that the Holy Spirit's come so that you do not sin at all. That's not what the Bible teaches, that the Holy Spirit has come so that you do not sin at all. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit has come to reveal the truth about God to human beings, to reveal Christ, to open up the eyes of the blind, um, you know, so that we may see who Christ is. And then that work continues as the Holy Spirit reveals more of Christ in in our life and and it's teaching us the bible says that the te- the spirit teaches us uh, there's even a passage in the book of first john that says hey you don't need anybody to teach you you have the spirit uh, you know um you have the spirit you know and and that's true i mean it's and it, it's not saying hey there's no teachers out there or anything like that but it's letting us know that there's there the main teacher is the spirit of god and uh, he is the counselor. The spirit is also called the counselor. He is our counselor. So the spirit's job is to reveal Jesus, to continue to reveal Jesus in the life of the believer and and even bring us to places of repentance. So the Holy Spirit's job does bring us into the light, uh, meaning into that place of repentance. Hey, sorry, Lord, forgive me. That's a work of God in us. Mm. You know, so even that is a work of the Holy Spirit. So I I would hate for you to equate, you know, that idea of repentance as not a work of the Holy Spirit. No, it is a work of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is so. And I could uh, you're not alone, Holly. Yeah, totally. When I became a believer, I started attending what you would call a church that is part of the Wesleyan holiness tradition. And we were taught that. Not as sort of a sinless perfectionism, but in a sense, yes. Uh, We were taught a doctrine called entire sanctification, where a believer reaches a point in their spiritual walk with Christ, a pinnacle where you are now entirely sanctified and no longer sin. 
And I was really skeptical about the doctrines uh, biblically. But I, I did, when I went through for as many years listening and being taught that, hey, you know, you sh- how can you who have died to sin still live in it? And I struggled with that, thinking, okay, I should no longer struggle with this one sin or that sin. I should, I should be able to overcome because I am God's child, and he gave me victory. So sin will not master me. And whenever I did fail, and I did, it was earth-shattering. I thought I lost my salvation. I thought I wasn't a Christian. And as I dug deeper into the scriptures, I realized that what Bo said was really, really insightful. And I like what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 9. He talks about the Christian life being kind of like a marathon race. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one, all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you obtain it. And he goes on to say, um, therefore, uh, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest I have preached to others and I myself should become disqualified. So he, he, in, in other translations, he says, I buffet my body or I beat my body and, and make it my slave. So he talks about taking this long trial of work where he's working out his salvation, he, as he says in another place, um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling and uh, and so I, th- I, th- I think that we if we, we look at the whole of Scripture, we see the Christian life more like a marathon rather than a sprint where I have to be perfect. And yes, we aim for perfection, but we don't uh, we don't hit it because we're human and we're we're taught that we should just continue to be in fellowship, uh, work out our salvation together as as a, as a family. And and I think a lot of people can relate to coming to faith it's new. It's amazing. You're you're learning truths you've never heard before. It's a whole world you shift, and then all <laughs> of a sudden you fall into a habit or you stumble over something. You know, for me, it was always getting into arguments with a particular family member, where I was now in sin because I was being disrespectful, and I just could not have a conversation without finding my place in an argument and getting upset. And it was so frustrating. And I thought I would sit outside of the house before I'd walk in and I'd pray. And I'd say, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to be kind and gentle. And we're going to have, an, I'm going to engage in conversation because I was trying to witness to them. And and no matter what, <laughs> this person just could push all the right buttons. I'd get angry. I'd raise my voice. One time I stormed out and I was driving a little fast on dirt road and I, I, I lost control and I went into a telephone pole. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've lost my, salva- my salvation because I got angry and I lost my temper and I hit the gas a little too much. And now I've just wrecked my truck. <laughs> you know, and so I, I I can totally relate to that kind of sense of, how could I fail when I've repented of my sin? I've given my life to Christ. And uh, just remember that the the race of the Christian life is a marathon. We stumble in many ways, but we have an advocate. Yeah, We didn't come to faith and be accepted into God's kingdom because of our sinless behavior, nor are we going to you know, necessarily keep our salvation through our sinless behavior. It's going to be clinging to the garments of Jesus, and when we do sin, we confess it to one another, we, we, we do repent, 
70 times, seven times if we have to. Yeah, Jesus' brother wrote a book of the Bible, his half-brother named James. And James, uh, or most people believe it's James who wrote the half-brother of Jesus. In in chapter 3, verse 2, it's a cool passage. It says, for we all stumble in many things. And that is so true. We all stumble in many, many ways. The same book also encourages us in chapter 5. It tells us to confess our trespasses one to another in verse 16. Well, the only way you can confess your sin to one another is if you actually have sin. So the implication is that in the Bible, in the New Testament, is that you are going to sin. You, You will continue to sin. Will you sin less? My answer is sometimes. And will you sin more? And my answer is sometimes. Sometimes you'll sin less. Sometimes you're going to sin more. But there's something you will sin. And you will. The way you fight sin is the the way the Holy Spirit works in us is that it moves us to confess. That confession is a work of the Holy Spirit because it's moving us towards God. So it's a work of the Spirit of God that's drawing us to him. How? Through confession, Mm -hmm. through repentance. So those are all works of the Holy Spirit in us, drawing us to our Father, our Heavenly Father. But once again, remember Galatians. We have a, a nature, a sinful nature, and we have a spiritual nature now. Mm-hmm. We've been given a spiritual nature. And now there's a, a war that's going on in there. So good question. Great testimony, Adrian. Super awesome. So do we want to do Bob's on Facebook? Sure, okay, sure. Let's Bob do that. Uh, asked after church last Sunday, I remarked to a family member that I was that uh, I thought the message was powerful, to which he replied that it was just okay. Uh, I asked why he thought this, and he replied that the Bible is full of a lot of conflicts, quote-unquote. I'm going to assume he meant contradictions. I asked him to explain, and he asked, have, have you read Romans 9? I reread it later and couldn't find one contradiction. What do you think he might have been referring to? Thank you both. I think I know, but I just want to say, hey, guys, welcome to A Reason for Hope. And uh, if you are just joining us, Adrian Van Vactor in the A Reason for Hope, Hope house with Bo Willette. Sean Richards is definitely live and active on. He might not be here hosting the program right now, but he's he's doing it, man. He's answers, answering questions at CalvaryChristianFellowship.com mm-hmm. right now. And uh, I'm sure he's going through YouTube and Facebook as well. So, Sean, if if you hear him on Facebook, he's on his normal name. But on YouTube, if he replies, he'll reply as Shady Oak Ministries. If you ever wonder who that is, that's because that's that's the person always giving these great answers. That's actually uh, Pastor Sean. That's right. So Sean's going at it. Um, So he's he's in the house, man. He's working it right now. Um, Okay, so this is my thought on the question, Bob. I think that what this person's referring to, and I'm going to read it, but I have a feeling it has to do with the issue of election. Mm -hmm. Um, That would probably be what the conflict, a lot of conflicts. Yeah. A lot of believers do struggle. Churches divide over this issue. Yeah, and and Scott talks a lot about this. Sean's talked a lot about it. Uh, Peter's talked a lot about it on the show, but... You know, I'll just read and then we'll kind of get to the the issue. I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness by the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I wish I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. 
To whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises? Of whom are the fathers, from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternal blessed God? Amen. Wow, what a deity passage about Christ. Mm. And it says, but it is not that the word of God, but is it that the word of God has taken no effect on Israel? Kind of implication, right? Um, For they are not all Israel who are Israel, nor are they all children because they are of the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. So I don't see any contradiction so far yet. Nothing that may be too controversial. He is getting a little heady here and a little technical. um, Mm -hmm. But I don't think uh, there's anything that's throwing us too off yet. Um, That is those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So uh, Mr. Rabbi Paul is doing a little Bible study in Genesis. He's, and he brings up a passage of scripture. It says, at this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebecca is also conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, Uh, or when Rebecca had also conceived by this one man, even by her father Isaac, for the children not yet being born nor having done anything good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but him who calls. So Paul's argument here seems to be like, hey, God's got a plan. Mm -hmm. God has a purpose. Um, Salvation is not... Something that you are like you talked about already. It's not something we initiated or can even bring to pass in and of ourselves. Yeah, just as um, God miraculously uh, uh, did a work in Abraham and Sarah, and uh, and the election of who would be the son, the firstborn son, so to speak, the son of promise, the son of um, inheritance was not something that Isaac was going to call um, or his wife, but it was something that God chose. Um, and so now it says, um, it was said to her, so he's still doing the Bible study, Paul is, in Genesis, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. The, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Maybe maybe they, they might look at that contradiction. They might say, oh, well, God hates. Maybe that's a contradiction. Well, I think he said the word conflict. Uh-huh. So I think yeah. um, okay, the conflict. person who was referring to Romans 9 is saying that it is, there's a conflict because they may, that person may have listened to the sermon where the doctrine of election was probably properly <laughs> presented mm-hmm. rather than uh, accepted at, at whole, as you would find in like a reformed theology and that may have been the conflict in that they thought it was okay because they may have come from a reform background or at least some calvinistic ideas and have you read romans 9 it seems to me that what they could have been referring to is the conflict between free will and god's sovereignty that there's a conflict and i i thought the sermon was just okay because it probably too much emphasized free will and have you read Romans 9? Because Romans 9 really kind of obliterates the idea that we have a choice or a free will because God elects us. That would be yeah. know, my, my guess, but there's no way to know without the context of the sermon. 
uh, mm. was it this past Sunday? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I'd have to go back and listen to uh, – uh, but I think, know, I think I think you're right, though. I think you're, I think you're probably right on. In verse 15, it says, "I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whoever I have compassion." So then, this is the big one. So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Mm-hmm. And some people, definitely uh, a Calvinist, would look at this and say, "Hey, there it is. It's not of you who uh, you're not. Uh, it's not of you who wills. Into, you can't will yourself into the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything like that. It's got to be something of a work of God. And yeah. and so sometimes even uh, you could take that so far to say, hey, well, sa- sanctification, meaning our practical walk with God day to day, is not of us who wills either. It's mm-hmm. just a work of God. So right. uh, you know, I just kind of you know, and, and we would say true. Yeah, it, everything's a work of God. God did not have to send; He didn't have to come into the world as and, and die on a cross. He, He, He chose to do that. We didn't will that to happen, and we didn't will to be saved by grace through faith. No, uh, God willed that. That's right. And so, you know, it's it's interesting how people will pick apart these things and create conflicts that really don't exist. Yeah, and, and the reason why we would say that is because we would say yes, yeah. God is not of us who wills, it's not of us who runs, but it's God who shows mercy. Amen. None of us get into the kingdom without mercy. Yep. But we also would say that we have a decision to make. Why? Because the Bible says, choose this day who you will serve. Mm-hmm. And it's and Paul says, you know, uh, that uh, I work harder than them all, not I, but the grace of God within me. But he makes that idea that I'm working too. And we see other passages like that where it talks about God working in us to will and do according to his good pleasure. But it, 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 there's a, a work that's going mm-hmm. on, and we have a, uh, a mind to, to use and to make decisions on. So and, it's not and like, a responsibility. Yeah, it's not like we're automated, mm-hmm. like, you know, we, we come to Christ and it's just automated, I guess right, that's yeah. what I'm saying. We're accountable for rejecting or accepting Christ, not not accountable. <laughs> yeah, so there yeah, so there is uh there is decisions and the Bible speaks of that all the time, you know. It, it, the whole Bible is being written from that idea that we have decisions to make. But there always is this understanding of God is in control and God mm-hmm. definitely chooses and God elects and if you throw out any of these passages, you're saying what the Bible does not say. Yeah, we have I, to just stick to what it says. Yeah, and I, I'd, I'd guess Bob that that was probably the conflict. Yeah, if you want to get a more in depth onto, you can either go to CalvaryChristianFellowship dot com and go and look under Romans nine, and you can under the past uh, archives you can look up Romans and go through teachings through Romans and find chapter nine when Pastor Scott or others have taught through that chapter. And, and Scott and get, did his dissertation on that one. Yeah, so. and, and you can also do a search on the YouTube channel. Uh, reason for hope and search Romans 9 or sovereignty or Calvinism and those keywords will pop up in our YouTube channel where you can see previous episodes where they maybe have gone into more detail about interpreting Romans 9 but there's not a contradiction it's uh, the conflict is certainly there it's a, it's been a uh, centuries-long conflict within the church but it's a secondary issue we all agree that God is sovereign and king and, and in control but at the same time human beings are uh, do you have a level of autonomy and responsibility? We call this free will. The Bible teaches both. Uh, we shouldn't exclude one 
or the other because we may have philosophical concerns over how the two doctrines can both coexist and not contradict, create contradictions. Usually that's the, the crux of the there. conflict yeah. there is that you're creating a contradiction by, by teaching both. But we would disagree with that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sean got on Facebook and answered Monica's question about will there be holy days in heaven? And, and Sean said, uh, good answer. Yes, during the, well, he says yes, during the millennium there will be. So during the millennial kingdom, if you want to f- kind of find out a little more about that, you can go to the end of the book of Ezekiel and read some of that. Uh, you can read a uh, brief uh, kind of uh, titch on it at the end of the book of Revelation. There's a part called that talks about the millennial kingdom as well. Um, the Ezekiel passage really focuses on the millennial temple. Um, and so there will be those feast days observed. Um, uh, I want to say that the Feast of Tabernacles is a big one but in my mind, but um, on the Millennial Kingdom. But anyway, in heaven, uh, when you're talking about heaven or the new creation, uh, at the end of the book of Revelation, Sean says, we don't know. Yeah, we don't have as much information about when there is a new heaven and new earth. Holly asked another question, and Sean did kind of... Uh, answer it uh, she asked um, is there any hope for those left on earth can they still go to heaven when they die or is it too late for good Uh, well scripture says that it's been appointed unto humanity or man once to die and after this comes the judgment so it seems to be that throughout Jesus teaching ministry he puts an urgency on today is the day for you know just Right now, you're why you have one life to live. Do it. You got to make the decision now. And once, <laughs> once you have um, passed on death, it's over, and then comes the judgment. If you're referring to, since the context uh, earlier was about the last days, the tribulation period, uh, Sean answered that. He goes, if you mean the tribulation, there's more people that will be saved during that time than any other. Yeah. So there is going to be mass evangelism taking place after yes. the rapture of the church. Uh, God's going to elect uh, 144,000 evangelists from the people of Israel, and they will evangelize the world. You'll have the two witnesses who will be performing miracles that the world will see, including coming back from the dead. So there's going to be a lot of people coming to faith. And Sean, thanks so much for answering Nina's questions as well. Thank you for a great week of A Reason for Hope. We'll catch you guys next week. Okay, take care. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.